1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your name, Walkie Bucks Porter, at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me, as always, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Men. And bringing you today's podcast is Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. And also Himalaya. It's free. It's super easy to use. And it has every single podcast you love or are searching for their personally curated playlist made just for you by their expert podcast tastemakers themed collections of shows to help with podcast discovery and listeners can follow their favorite shows and creators find and download Himalaya on the app store or Google play store. Don't forget to follow locked on bucks. Once you're there and Frank um, took a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, you, You were asked to do some, some pretty rough stuff here. Uh, you were, you were. I mean, kind of s- signed up to have to talk about games five and six, and I, I don't, I don't blame you. Uh, th- those were both quite painful. Yeah, so uh, I didn't. How about that? I, I'm totally fine <laughs> with it. it. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all.
0: Uh, asking when we were going to come on and do this. So uh, sorry for the delay, but. Uh, obviously, uh, I hope that you read everything I wrote at The Athletic during that time and had a good w- way to keep up with the Bucs. Um, so Bucks lose Game 5, one f- 105-99. They lose Game 6, 194. They lose the final four games of the series and ultimately drop the Eastern Conference Finals 4-2 to to the Toronto Raptors and do not go to the NBA Finals and... Uh, I guess I don't even know really where to go from here. Um, do, hmm, at some point, Frank, were you expecting it to turn? Like, were were you pretty confident that once Game Five happened, the Bucks would just kind of take care of business in Game Five, and then we would go, uh, you know, where only the home team wins, and one and two to the Bucks, five to the Bucks, seven to the Bucks.
2: I think that's where we were. Uh... I think the last time we podcasted was ahead of game five. And I I thought, you know, the most likely result was Bucks win uh, game five. And, you know, they come out to this big lead. What was it? 18 to four. They lead by 10. I think it was 63, 53. Maybe they led by 12, but at least 10 in the third quarter. And there were just, you know, a number of moments in that game where you felt like, okay, like it feels like they're turning the screws, turning the corner. And we're back sort of on that kind of, you know, home court, holding serve, whatever you want to call it, type track. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought that was the most likely outcome. But, you know, I mean, in any individual game, and obviously it swung the other way heading back to Toronto for game six. Um, I mean, even if you think your team's going to win, I mean, you're playing another great team, uh, a team that obviously had, you know, figured some things out, especially defensively about how to slow down your best player. And you weren't getting contributions from other guys and they were starting to get, you know, maybe some confidence from players that certainly weren't like that before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you, you, I think had reasons to believe the Bucks could, you know, again, show that why they were the better team during the regular season. Um, but ultimately, you know, when it came down to these, you know, again, I've said it a bunch of times during the playoffs, the the postseason is a series of small samples and when Fred VanVleet has literally the greatest, you know, what, three, four game stretch of shooting in NBA playoff history, that matters. When yeah. Giannis has a far below Giannis sort of uh, performance over multiple games, when Eric Bledsoe looks like, you know, a shell of himself, um, granted that wasn't in, in game uh, five, but... um but you know, I mean, just nobody else kind of really stepped up. Obviously, Chris Middleton was up and down as far as scoring. Um, you know, I mean, again, the 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 margin for error was was thin. You know, which isn't surprising that against a team like the Raptors, your margin of error would be thin. And um, ultimately, you know, it's sort of one of those things. I think in the playoffs, the you know, sort of history is written by by the by the victors. You know, and so. After a series like this, especially given that the Bucks, you know, lost all these games, you know, three of the four games were obviously very close, um, but you know, ultimately the the narrative will be that well, the Raptors were great, and here's why, and you know, blah blah blah, and so it it will sort of dismiss that the Bucks had every chance to really win this series, despite losing not even in seven, losing in six. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can talk about sort of my my feelings on it because I've I've personally, as a fan, have had a really hard time kind of coming to terms with that because again, it's not like there was anything inevitable about the Bucks losing this series. Like, if your takeaway from this series is that the Bucks aren't good enough to win a championship or the Bucks don't have the talent to compete with Toronto or Golden State, <laughs> I disagree. I don't. I don't know how you can watch this team all year and just think <laughs> that because. You know, they couldn't figure out basically over a course of one week that, you know, they came up short in three really close games um, that now suddenly like everything they did was invalidated or they're, you know, all their players are crap or whatever. Um, You know, again, I think you we've seen, I mean, that's not really how kind of how these things tend to work. Right. I mean, you know, Portland's a good example. I mean, a year ago, Damian Lillard has a terrible series against the Pelicans. Pelicans look like they're this ascendant team and then a year later, you know, the Pelicans short of design Williamson sweepstakes, you know, were headed towards the toilet bowl. Even I mean, even before Anthony Davis issues his trade demand, they were struggling and the Blazers suddenly figured out whatever they needed to figure out with basically the same roster and in the playoffs they were even really shorthanded relative to, you know, losing Nurkic and, you know, Dame showed again, at least for a couple series for his injuries, that, you know, yeah, he's an amazing, you know, high level playoff player so I mean that's the hard part right I mean I think um you know I, I think the thing I always worried about was just you know can how, how many steps can you skip um as a team that that obviously has not had a deep playoff run like you know can you actually go from a team that hasn't won a playoff series to a team that wins a championship and that obviously you know doesn't doesn't happen much at all you know I, mean, I think we've talked about the Warriors didn't win a playoff series the year before they won their first title but they won one the previous year and you know, I think generally had a little bit more playoff experience than the Bucks did. But um, you know, either way, obviously those teams are, are, are exceptions to the rule typically. And typically you do have to kind of earn your stripes. And typically a 24-year-old soon-to-be MVP doesn't win a championship at 24. That's, you know, you can kind of count on one hand the number of guys who have been the best player on a championship team at that level. I mean, Dwayne Wade and I don't know of anybody else in in recent memory, you know? I mean, Kobe wasn't the best player when he was super young with Shaq. That was, you know, that was really Shaq's team. Um, And Kawhi Leonard, I mean, he won a finals MVP at 22, but he was I don't think anybody has any illusions that he was carrying that team. I think, what, he averaged like 14 points a game in that series. He averaged as many points a game as Chris Middleton did in this last season, last series, I think. So, um, you know, again, that was Tim Duncan's team. And and so I think it's it's very hard, um, but I think, again like there's still that tension of i think the bucks were absolutely good i mean come on like if you're if you don't think the bucks were good enough to win that series and i don't know what you're watching and so i don't think there was anything inevitable about them losing or winning right i mean i i think you could have said the same if they had won that series you know that obviously it's ultimately um a series you know a series of small samples and things kind of came out the right way if you win and if you don't, then I think you need to kind of think critically about why. And, and we can obviously get kind of deeper into into the why. But um, again, I just think it's, it's, for me, it's just been this really difficult thing to kind of balance between, on the one hand, feeling like, yeah, you know, and we'll talk a lot about, you know, what it will take to bring this team back in the kind of similar form to what it is now. But I think you certainly have the opportunity to do that. And you certainly have an opportunity to contend for a championship next year. And, you know, even if the team doesn't look very different, Giannis being much better, probably, especially in a playoff scenario, will help a ton. And uh, so on the one hand, yeah, this could be the beginning of big things, because usually you do have to take, you know, that first leap before you can make the ultimate leap to a championship. But on the flip side, um, I mean, again, having home court, best record in league, home court throughout, being favored in the East Finals, having a 2 nothing lead in the East Finals. Um, Golden State having certainly at least a Durant injury for the start of the finals. This was an absolutely unique set of circumstances that had broken the Bucks' way. And it's obviously a huge disappointment that once you get that far, that that you couldn't get over the hump, especially given how many things went wrong in that last series and how few things <laughs> needed to go better in order to probably win that series. So it's, it's a bitter pill for sure. And Again, I, I think it's going to nod me for a long time. I mean, you know, if you're a Wisconsin sports fan and you think back to the Brewers last year or the Brewers in I think, 2011, both times getting to the league championship series, home field, I think in both instances, not being able to figure things out when, you know, again, it seemed like this was a great, great opportunity to maybe finally break through or the Green Bay Packers in the uh, NFC championship against the Seahawks having this big lead, you know, seemingly you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory when they should have been going to the Super Bowl. You, you don't know when the next opportunity comes, and again, Giannis is is the ultimate trump card that the Bucks have. Thank thank goodness. But um, you know, as we've talked about, Oklahoma City in 2012 never thought that that would be their last chance to go to the finals. You know, there's lots of examples where things just sort of you think it's the beginning of something and, and then it never quite get, gets back to what it was. So I think that's, that's where, you know, the pressure comes from all this and, and you can't just pass it off as, you know, Oh, oh that's okay. We'll come back next year. I mean, again, every year is, is precious, especially when you have teams as, as good as this Bucs team this year.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of difficult to try to get uh, a grip on, you know, exactly what, what all of this means. And speaking of grip, today's show is brought to you by Grip6, ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it's a great Father's Day gift. Go to Grip6. They have a special offer for you at Grip6.com slash lock. Those are Grip6 belts. Check those out at Grip6.com slash lock. And I guess what I, I do really mean it, it is difficult to get a grip on what this all means because like, So, so the Bucks lose this series and uh, essentially it, it just flips, right? So you're looking at game three, you go, you have all of, I don't want to say all the chances in the world, but plenty of chances in, in game three, you go to double overtime. If you come away with that game, I I don't want to say the, the Raptors are going to pack it in. I, I think they're a better team than that, but, you are going to have Kawhi Leonard coming off a fifty-two minute game. Uh, you are going to have the Raptors kind of, uh, you know, maybe they take on some of the the Raptors of old kind of uh, nervousness as you know they're sitting here in, in Game Four in front of their home crowd and you know trying to figure out how they're going to how they're going to win it. And uh, like at that point, you, I mean, up to nothing, it, it felt like the finals were inevitable. Like, how on earth is a team going to beat the Bucks four out of five times? Like, it just didn't seem possible. And I think, you know, as you're talking about skipping steps and – not necessarily skipping steps, but how many steps can you take in one year? How big of a leap can you make uh, in, in just one year? And, you know, it, it was kind of – it was kind of interesting to see, like, As all this went through, like, you know, the the Bucks get tested against the Celtics and then just mop the floor with them, and you're like, in my mind, there's part of me that was like, Can it really be this easy? Like, can can this actually happen? Is is Giannis this transcendent? Can can he just kind of decide that, all right, I know the coverage you're throwing at me. I'm gonna dominate. Like I, I don't know exactly how I'm gonna do it, but after a couple games I'm gonna figure it out, I'm gonna dominate. And that's why, like Game Five, I, w- I was really expecting just an insane Giannis performance, kind of like the Game Three one he had in in TD Garden against the Celtics, where you know after those two games he had figured out their coverage, and you know the Raptors didn't change their coverage in the final four games, and he just he, he just couldn't figure it out. He couldn't get comfortable, and I, I think that's a huge credit to the Toronto Raptors. Like, obviously, if you have someone like Kawhi Leonard that can defend, but then. On the backside, you have Siakam because he's able to help off of blood. So you have Marcus, Saul. like you just have a bunch of long-limbed, athletic defenders that make it really tough on him. So like kudos to them, but it, it was it was just a spot where you thought he, or at least I thought he would get comfortable, but kind of how they game plan for him just didn't allow it. Like okay, so against the Celtics, you know there was times where he wasn't feeling totally comfortable you know, trying to attack the wall. So it's like, all right, get him over on the left wing and then he can attack a switch or get him in the pick and roll. You're going to switch there, get a post-touch. And you can you can kind of work out of all those things. And the Raptors were just like, oh, you want a post-touch? Well, Marcus Gasol is going to come double you every single time as soon as you touch the ball. So you're going to have to make a decision quickly. Like you're going to, you're going to have to – and really – like all that's doing is just making Giannis never feel comfortable. Like there was just never a time I thought after you know the first two games where where he looked comfortable. He, he didn't really you know know where his spots were. And uh, again, I mean, we can talk a little bit about adjustments and maybe some other things that the Bucks could have done offensively. But uh, to me, it was just like this whole year, the offense was really simple. It's a five-out offense essentially a lot of like dribble drive principles and you're counting on Giannis to be better than someone one-on-one. And when he is better than someone one-on-one and they help, you're going to kick it out to shooters. And and that's kind of how it's built. And then, okay, if they really work on Giannis, then you're going to be able to kick it to Bledsoe and Bledsoe going to be able to drive and kick. And he's going to be able to find lanes and, and find a way to impact the game offensively. And then that wasn't there. And, the offense looked like it was really difficult. And when to me, it was just like, you know, when the offense is so simple, that's a good thing. That means you can obviously plug and play with a lot of guys. You can get a lot of guys comfortable and you can get Giannis a, a lot of, I don't want to say easy looks at assists, but you can get other guys like pretty simple catch and shoot looks like they don't have to come off a lot of screens. Like they can just, you know, plant themselves, catch it, shoot it. And it should be pretty easy. And, the Raptors took all of that away, and it, it got really hard in a hurry. And I do think, like, as you as you try to think through Giannis's next next stage, next development, it is finding a shot that he can close with. Because again, this year it was it's pretty simple for him offensively. It was, uh, you know, power his way through somebody and dunk on them, or take a three. And obviously Mike Boonholzer encouraged that. And, you know, I think all of us, or certainly I do, I, I enjoy analytics. So I understand the idea behind threes or dunks and, you know, not taking a lot of stuff in between and, you know, trying to make the whole Bucks team shoot that type of shot profile. Like I get that, but, you know, when he couldn't get all the way to the rim, I don't, I don't think he was about to step into 10 threes he needed an in-between look there, and he just didn't really have a lot of reps with that. He didn't have he didn't take a lot of shots like that. And, you know, you, you just kind of look at, Ka- at Kawhi Leonard. And again, I'm not trying to say you should start taking contested jumpers, and, and that's the way to go from the mid-range. But, you know, he, he was always able to find a way to get himself a comfortable shot. And with Giannis, when it is dunks and it is threes, that that becomes a little bit harder.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... I think this this is certainly the probably the longest stretch of games we saw a year where it felt like you know throughout the year. I mean, he even said this in an interview, like when he has a bad game, we know what happens next. And I think he said that after game three when you know it was by far his worst offensive performance of the series, right? I mean, he was much better relatively speaking in games uh, four or five, six after that twelve point five out of sixteen shooting night. In Game Three, which is especially painful because that was literally the game where they needed like anything from him offensively and they would have won. Just same was true for Middleton mm-hmm. and Bledsoe. I mean, again, that was the 11 out of 48 shooting performance. And you thought, well, it can't be any worse than that, and it wasn't worse than that in terms of those guys you know, shooting. But they, you know, nobody had a, had any sort of sustained excellence. Right, Middleton was you know great in Game Four. Was really the only guy in Game Four who kind of really kind of stood out um with those 30 points. Giannis was was fine and get you know, what 25 points. Um, and then of course in that game they get no help from anybody else. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I and and look, Toronto's also uniquely suited because they have, you know, a defensive player of the year in Kawhi. They have, you know, a former defensive player of the year in in Marcusal, who again, I mean, obviously he's not at that level of defender anymore, but very smart, you know, very um very savvy player on both ends of the court. And you know Serge Ibaka is like a kind of an also ran at this point, but I mean he's a former top three defensive player of the year finisher. Mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam is, I'd say, has the tools to be an all def, I don't know, an all defensive team caliber player as well. Um, they have a lot of guys who they can throw at you, and so you put all those guys on the court at the same time. I mean, it's understandable that it would be challenging, especially when they stay disciplined and when they're making shots. And the Bucks are not like turning them over a lot, which you know the Bucks don't turn other teams over a lot anyway. Um, so it obviously limited them to what they could do in transition, and obviously that was one of the kind of recurring themes um, for a lot of people. Was like, oh, the Bucks can't score in the half court. And I mean, the good news was the Raptors, for large parts of the series, couldn't score in half court either. Um, but again, you know, when you win the series, nobody really worries about that as much. You know, nobody <laughs> worries about the fact that you know, Fred Van Bleet having a kid made him, you know, a super version of Seth Curry for, for those three games, <laughs> an 80% three-point shooter or whatever he was. Um, you know, I mean, it kind of, it's one of those things that you can toggle a lot of these things in different directions and say, well, oh, that's the difference in the series. Um, but I think certainly the part that I would say shook me the most as a fan was was the fact that Giannis was not, was not close to what we expected from him, right? I mean, You know, a lot of people complaining about Middleton. I think he was 52, 53% true shooting. And Giannis was the same. And the crazy part is, I mean, Giannis is a 64% true shooting guy in the regular season, you know, like, you know, um, I I think obviously Kawhi and and the doubles and all the attention that that Giannis got, um, you know, meant that that it was going to be harder on him. Um, But that was the hard part too is, you know, Bucks should be ready for doubles on Giannis. Like this, that is not like a revolutionary concept, and yet they never could figure that out. And even with all the attention being placed on Giannis, it's not like you know Middleton was just like missing lots of open shots. I mean, hit I think thirty eight percent from three, really struggled on two. He wasn't
0: getting open shots. No, he.
2: The part part that was probably the most frustrating part is that it felt like ultimately a lot of and and again I don't know what the open shot numbers kind of ultimately say and, and to be honest like i don't know the open shot stats from nba.com like man those like really don't they, they oftentimes like fly wildly in the face of my eye test which again i will always default to what the numbers <laughs> say because you know that's tracking data it's it's not like it's some random guy like you know drunkenly plotting shots and against where defenders are but um but it felt like the raptors like if they just probed a little bit they could get the Bucks to help, and I mean, open corner threes, good looks for guys. I mean, it just felt like at the point of the attack, the Bucks just had the hardest time. Unless it was Giannis, just like getting doubled right away, it didn't feel like the Bucks were really able to force help in as successfully as the Raptors were able to. Well, when and Siakam
0: then, can send the lane and not cover, it, yeah,
2: so like. Yeah. And, and a lot of that was cause Bledsoe was the guy that they were obviously giving open shots to and he was spooked. He was, yep. you know, sure. uh, he, he just didn't know what to do. And, you know, give him some credit. He played a lot better in what game five, I guess. I think he had what 20 points in that game. Um, but you know, it's kind of like last year when he had 23 points on nine out of 12 shooting in game seven in Boston, it's like, Hey, glad you bounced back a little bit, but ultimately like, you know, too little, too late. And Ultimately, I think certainly the way they played Bledsoe made a big difference, but by the same token as well, I mean, I don't know. It didn't seem like there were any, I mean, there were obviously combinations the Bucks had, which definitely worked a lot better than others, but, um, Malcolm Brogdon's driving lanes weren't, were were gone, you know, um, we're used to seeing him get to the rim. Bledsoe obviously could not get to the rim. Um, you know, they really took away what the Bucks like to do and, you know, the bucks just never shot consistently. Right. I mean, yeah. they had what like a stretch going back to the Celtic series of like eight or nine straight games shooting in the low thirties or worse. And, um, Toronto was just better. They just shot the ball much better. And, um, you know, that goes the whole make or miss league thing. And I think certainly, you know, it, it was really disappointing how you could build the, the list and, I think George Hill overall acquitted himself very well in the playoffs. You know, kind of continuing his kind of play from the last month of the season. But it's not like he was there every night. You know, he had a couple of games that you was like, well, needed more from George Hill. But again, he's also your backup point guard, right? Um, but yeah. you know, you just look at Bledsoe, just consistently disappointing. Middleton not quite being where you know not not being as as good as he needs to be from like two point range. You know, he still had seven rebounds, four assists. I think defended really well. I think certainly the energy expended on defense probably hurt him, probably to some extent as well on offense. Um, but you know, it's like
0: when the Bucks are so if you're doubling Giannis and doing all that, okay. And then you know, I just thought doubling Middleton in the post was such a such a smart play because it's it's literally like the one spot in in the half court other than you know getting a getting a big on him and, and pulling the big out to shoot a pull-up three like it it is really one of the spots where Middleton just loves to operate and he's typically going to take his time it's gonna be a couple dribbles and then like a fadeaway and obviously that's a shot that he likes a lot and like if you send that double he doesn't have that time you know he doesn't he doesn't get to do that he he has to you know really find a way to to get it done quickly or get the ball out of his hands and like, that's that's a killer when i uh, just down the line you know brogdon not quite qu- quick enough to get past some of these raptors like guards and wings and then blood so just totally shook and just can't handle getting open threes and can't attack siakam and try to get into his body because well siakam is much larger than him and then with middleton like you know, one of the few spots that he's comfortable is in the post, and then all of a sudden he's getting doubled there, so he doesn't get to have that comfortable zone. And I, I just thought, you know, up and down, like if you're if you're looking at ways to make the Bucks uncomfortable offensively in a half court side, like I, I just thought the Raptors did a really nice job of that up and down, and you know, like I thought Middleton in I'm trying to think what it was four and five, obviously in. Four, he was just fantastic with the thirty points, seven assists, and uh, six rebounds. But I, I thought even in in game five, like I know two for nine isn't ever what you want to see, but you know putting a, a ten assist game tonight like together is. I mean, it's not nothing, <laughs> and I like, think that guy. I know that that's always something you know you, you want to have you want to have the ten assists and also get into double digit points. But well, you know, like that that all kind of adds up the same when you get to add six points to 10 assists. Like that's at least, you know, 20 points. And if he assisted on some threes, that's 24, 25. So uh, like, I I, I definitely agree with you that him getting Leonard this entire series took out a, a ton of energy from him. And obviously Brogdon got some of that as well. And, you know, it's going to be a rough go of it for anyone when you are putting in that much effort Uh, defensively unless you're Kawhi Leonard then you can cover Giannis and dominate the game offensively because he's some sort of cyborg Um, but I I thought Middleton like Bledsoe was terrible in this series I thought Middleton was closer to good I don't think he was great in this series but I think with the work he did defensively and then you know as much attention as you was seeing offensively in a series where Giannis isn't playing well either. Um, I thought he he was good, and uh, I thought in the playoffs he made made me feel pretty confident that he's a 16-game player, like that, you know, Draymond always – that's a Draymond Green quote, right? Like that there's 82-game guys, yeah. guys and 16-game guys. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Chris Middleton's a 16-game player. Like you, you look at what he did throughout this playoffs and – he was contributing defensively when I think there was a lot of people that didn't believe that and just thought, oh, he's just a team defender. He can't really defend guys one on one. I thought he was he was great defensively throughout the playoffs, and then offensively, I think he he fits in just fine. And you know, he's uh, obviously with a team built around Giannis. You're gonna have a you know a trickle down effect that if Giannis isn't looking good, it's gonna be tougher for everyone else to look good and. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, obviously in this series you're going to want a little bit more scoring, but you know I thought I thought Middleton was close close to good in this series.
2: And uh, we haven't mentioned. I mean, I think interestingly, I think Nikola Meritich's performance may have been the most impactful in terms of like the big picture of the Bucks um, summer, um, because I, I personally and I also think. I, I imagine if you're the Bucks, I don't think what you saw ultimately in the playoffs really changes kind of your plan for the summer when it comes to Chris Middleton. And again, I'm, I'm, I've been seeing a bunch of people talking about how the Bucks should sign a superstar <laughs> instead of Chris Middleton in my mentions today. And sure, sure. Uh, I had a guy, let me read you off a quote and this guy doesn't follow me. I don't know how he found my, my uh my twitter account but because um, you're a nerd kinda... that's
0: always defending chris middleton that's why frank
2: <laughs> um let me just read this off so matt rakowski at maddie rack he, he responded when i was i was talking about just um i think that someone tweeted at me that middleton wasn't good enough to be the second best player on a team that wins the title and i was like and he said that middleton flopped uh, when Kawhi guarded Giannis, Middleton needed to be a different taker. He flopped. Okay. Um, so, well, first off, like, so we're saying this team could not have won a championship. That's that's the argument here because of Chris Middleton, not because Giannis was way beneath MVP Giannis, not because Bledsoe was like, you know,
1: Jeremy.
2: Rajon Rondo as, from as a shooting perspective or worse than Rajon Rondo, not because Nikola Mirotic just literally got benched. He was so bad in in that series, but because of Middleton falling Very, short of course that's of course. why the bug it was
0: middleton's fault yes yeah
2: um but here here's here's at maddie Rack coming coming with with the with the truth here he is i hate to say it but i think after we see gs dismantle the raptors we realize that k mids being our second best player isn't going to win a ring drop middleton give Brooke less let Nico walk sign a superstar has to be the go-to right now
0: <laughs> look oh, that seems pretty <laughs> simple i think look. i think we should listen to him
2: I look if if drop Middleton, give Brooke less, let Nico walk, and sign a superstar was like an option that was available to the Bucs, I'm all for it, Matty Rack. If Kawhi, if Kawhi comes to you and says, "Give me the max," and I'm there, and you know you could again drop a bunch of you know you uh, you'd probably let Middleton go, let Brogdon walk, you'd stretch urson and tony Snell, whatever you find a way you do that right you get Kawhi in the fold great i'll totally 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 on board with that but um and you know to borrow a phrase from seinfeld you can't like you can yada yada a lot of things you know (laughs) like oh trade this for that and add some filler yada yada right you can't yada yada the sinus (laughs) superstar just do it it's easy (laughs) I, I can't – like, look, I wish it was as simple as just, you know, sending KD a smoke signal and just tell him, like, oh, hey, KD, you know what? We actually would accept you here in Milwaukee, right, or Kawhi. <laughs> and to be honest, I think those are the only guys who I think you, like, are, are even worth, like, gutting your team for. But they're clearly, you know, superstars, right? Those are the two um,
0: guys demonstrably better than Chris Middleton.
1: Right, this right, right,
2: right. Um, you know, we talked about Jimmy Butler a year ago. I mean – Again, Jimmy Butler, a couple years older, going to take the ball out of Giannis's hand isn't really a stretch guy the same way Chris is. Um,
0: also, Jimmy Butler.
2: Also, like. Jimmy Butler. Um, and so, are you going to like you know gut the roster in order to bring Jimmy Butler in? I would vote no. Also, someone mentioned Tobias Harris to me. Check out Tobias Harris's numbers from the Philly Raptors series. If If Chris Middleton did what
0: Tobias Harris did, any of the claims of Chris Middleton, (laughs) flopping, (laughs) sucking, choking, being terrible, Uh, all would have been valid. uh, All would have been valid.
2: If you did not like Chris Middleton against the Raptors, wait till you see the dump that Tobias Harris took against (laughs) the Raptors. Uh, You're going to love it. Um, Look, like – Again, like I, again, we're we're gonna have all the time in the world to like bash our heads against the wall against the Bucks' lack of options as far as you know whatever. But I it, people almost view it as like a negative that like you can run the, like just running it back and being I think good enough to compete for a title, especially if Giannis you know improves and you know you get some of these younger guys like D.J. Wilson and Dante Divincenzo and Sterling Brown like growing into bigger roles. I mean, to me, that's actually a sign of optimism, right? Because yep. You know, I mean, most teams can't look at their superstar and say that guy's definitely going to get better, right? Like, the Rockets can't expect James Harden to take another leap, right? They're not going to expect him to become an all-defensive player or whatever you consider his biggest weakness, right? Dame Lillard is not going to reach some new level, most likely, right? We've seen, I think, what Steph Curry and KD can do, right? Giannis is unique because in the fact that he actually has a very obvious weakness, it's actually Mm -hmm. also a chance to get even better. And, you know, even in a series where he was really bad by his standards, what did he put up? 22 points, 11 or 12 rebounds and five assists and like three blocks per game. I mean, you know, like eh, if you're going to be bad, that's like pretty good for bad. (laughs) That's pretty,
0: pretty. (laughs) 22.7, 13.5,
2: 5.5. So I even undersold him a little bit. So and again, his efficiency wasn't there, scoring, and that was really ultimately the Bucks' biggest problem. Um, but you know, again, like it, you know, do I do I look at this team and think get worse next year so that you can have cap space in twenty twenty? I, I just don't I just don't get that logic and I totally get people being wary of you know I, th- I don't think people are as wary of, of Brogdon just because his number is gonna be lower than Chris's number as far as his contract um, also they like him more yeah. <laughs> by the way I don't I, I it's the elephant in the room but after like the first two minutes of you talking you went back into your radio hit uh, tranquilizer dart to the neck voice so just be aware of that oh man yeah that's not good yeah (laughs) you're crazy man um (laughs) so if you want to try like to take a drink of water you know whatever you're yeah i can do that (laughs) i kind of hope it doesn't work because it's kind of surreal having a conversation with tranked up frank the tank from old school but um but yeah i i don't know i mean it's again this is the Bucs should obviously absolutely be trying to think about what they can do to get better. But, um, you know, I think, I think for the most part, I don't think I came away feeling like, you know, suddenly this guy is useless or can't, can't possibly be back with the exception of like, man, Miritich, what a disaster his, his last round of the playoffs were for a guy who was, you know, you dumped all your, your second round detritus, you know, spare change into the Pelican's lap for basically a half season of him. You would, you still have a chance to bring him back as a bird free agent. We'll talk a bit about why we probably don't think that's likely for kind of other reasons, but, um, but for him to go from, you know, uh, inconsistent series against the Celtics to can't make any shots and getting crushed on the boards and, Oh yeah, you're just gonna not play it all in in game six, and that's the way presumably your Bucks career is gonna end. That was probably in some ways like the biggest disaster, like in just in terms of like a, a guy's whole trajectory with the Bucks. Um, you know, I mean, we've already talked about how you should be a lower priority guy just because you were the best team in the league before you even acquired him. Um, but man. Uh, <laughs> That was just a rough way to exit, especially for a guy who I mean, we know he's streaky, but I mean, I mentioned that Pelican team last year. He was really good for that Pelican team in the playoffs last year. It's not like he's a guy that you expect to just get played off the floor or something like that. I mean, I think he's a guy who can be good in the playoffs, especially when he's hitting shots, but just he was, you know, him and Bledsoe are really kind of the bellwethers of guys just struggling mightily to to make an impact offensively and obviously You know, Bud ultimately made the decision to just, you know, not play him, play him at all in in the last game. Which um, I don't know. He wasn't at me at at exit interviews. I I can't imagine that was the way he, you know, ever would have envisioned, um, you know, his 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 Bucks career potentially ending. But thirty four percent against the against the Raptors, nineteen percent on threes. Just just a disaster and, and obviously, you know, there were a lot of guys as we mentioned who struggled, especially some of the bigger name guys, but um man, just a really, really tough way for for him to, to go out potentially here obviously as as his last game as a buck.
1: I don't know if this is much of a surprise. Like we talked about this going into the into the playoffs and, you know, I I think at, at the end of the year, like we talked about how Nikola Mirotic is kind of a luxury item that he's not necessarily vital to, to what it is that you do. He's just, you know, another thing that you could throw on top and, you know, ultimately you have to wonder like, all right, is, is this team any worse off next year? If DJ Wilson is in Nikola Mirotic's spot, I don't think so like uh, I I think you'd you'd really struggle to to try to argue why that would be the case and and I think uh, I, don't, I don't even know what your argument would be because I do think this team would be just fine with DJ Wilson there and obviously uh, you saw the way that he was able to contribute defensively uh, which is different than what Nikola Mirotic was able to do but man like when when you're watching Fred Van VanVleet it was really hard not to think of the first you know, four games of the series and be like, you didn't have just one of those games in you, Nico, like just, just one, like you didn't, you you didn't have one hot shooting game in you. Like it it was just painful watching him, you know, brick three after three. And, you know, as, as we talked about before uh, the last two games of the series, like there was kind of, you know, at least a little bit of man, Nico being out there is almost like a, a bad influence for Giannis because he just keeps making that pass to him and he keeps trusting him even, even though he he very clearly cannot hit this shot and it was it was kind of painful to watch and yeah I mean it, it was just brutal to you know kind of think through what this series was and all, all the ways that you know things kind of just didn't work out right like Connaughton didn't hit the shots that he was hitting in, in the first one, which again, or in the first two series, which I don't think is super surprising, right? Like I think we both kind of believed that maybe the luck of the, the Bucks bench was going to run out at some point. Uh, and George Hill was totally fine throughout. Not as good uh every single night, but also that's not really fair to expect out of a backup point guard. Uh, but you know, Conanton wasn't really able to make an impact. Mirtich was Making it a negative impact for most of the series before he got benched, and you know, Ursan, I will say, like played played pretty solid in uh in which game was it? it was that was game six?
2: But yeah, the great great game two, um, great game and, two, and
1: then game and, six, I thought he was solid, hit a couple threes, sixty
2: percent true shooting. I mean, I'll I, you know I, we've obviously been critical of of Ersan's, especially like his potential shortcomings defensively against, you know, guys like Siakam, but, you know, Ursan was, was absolutely, Ursan is, is not on the list of reasons why the Bucks lost this series, you know, credit to him for that. And obviously, you know, everything after game two was kind of gravy and, you know, he didn't necessarily make a huge impact in the other games, but he was fine. You know, it wasn't, that was not why the Bucks lost by any stretch.
1: Yeah. And I mean, obviously we're probably going to end up recording some stuff about the future of the Bucs and, and where they go from here, but you know, as you and I were kind of laying things out and and talking about the cap uh, earlier today through text, it was just like, well, I don't want to say Mirtich made it easy, but it's like, well, you know, you can just renounce his rights and like, just get that that just, just move on. Like you don't you don't need Mirtich. Uh, you you don't really. I don't even know if you want him to come back. Like you, you definitely don't need him, and I don't even know if you want him. So. Uh, you can just renounce those rights, get that cap pulled off, and just kind of move on with with your day. And by doing that, I mean, I think there's at least an outside chance that doing that, uh, renouncing him, it kind of makes – I don't want to say it makes it easy, but when you look at the way that this offseason sets up for the Bucs, like – the Bucks can match anything they want on Malcolm Brogdon. And I think we'll talk in the coming weeks of how crazy that number might get uh, because I don't think we really know. But we can talk about that. And then, you know, Middleton, we're uh, all right, Bucks fans, hold with me here. Chris Middleton's going to get a max or damn near it. Everyone, everyone okay with that? Uh, it's been the reality for the last six months, but I don't know. Maybe people will actually believe it now. They probably still won't, uh, but he's- By the in- way,
2: we, we, would, we would gladly have the Bucks pay him less. We're just saying- Yes. You know, he'll probably have offers from other teams in that range. So the Bucks, if they want to keep Chris Middleton, slash have any chance to retain sort of the overall talent level on this team. Again, short of just going out and signing Kawhi or KD, which we are more than on board with. Yep, all for um,
1: that's That's a, that's a great move. That, John but, Horst, executive of the year, if you pull that one off.
2: All, all for that move, but, you know, just in the grand scheme of the universe, like, yeah, that's that's probably going to be roughly Chris's market. We don't know what Malcolm's necessarily is, but it'll be less most likely being a, a restricted free agent for sure.
1: So those two, like, again, I think the, I think Middleton, I, or I would guess Middleton will give them every chance to, you know, make a competitive offer and be in the range that they need to be in and he can bring it back with the bucks cause he'll be getting paid and have a chance to compete. Uh, so you can, you can do that. Brogdon, you can match. And then, you know, with those, with those two things, and then also re- renouncing Miritich and then, uh, George Hill, they'll have to, uh, wave, and incur a one million dollar guarantee fee, or I don't even know what that would technically. He's be
2: partially called. guaranteed, yeah. So you can basically buy out his his eighteen million down to one million, essentially. Yeah.
1: So you'll do that, and then really, I, I think that's about ten million in space you would have. Like, obviously, that's before Middleton and Braggenstein, but uh, you'd have ten million in space, which should, you know, at least give you a chance to retain both Brooke Lopez and George Hill.
2: Yeah, I mean I think the I think to me that's probably the most like reasonable kind of scenario, especially given, you know, I mean, again, Giannis if you think Giannis wants the Bucks to screw around and bring back a less talented team so they can have cap space for question mark in a year. I don't know what version of Giannis you're listening to. And again, not that Giannis should be dictating exactly what the Bucks do. Cause you know, again, players generally want the players they're used to playing with to come back. And you know, there's a long history of teams just sort of running stuff back. And eventually, you know, you can run into rosters that are overpaid by doing that. Um, but that's also just sort of like the lifestyle the life cycle of NBA teams like you have caps flexibility when your best players are young and underpaid and then you become really good and you have to pay people and then you don't have a lot of flexibility and that's sort of where the range of the bucks kind of are now are now entering which is just kind of the reality um, and obviously when you if you're you know a 48 win team and you're in that place that's kind of scary um, when you're a 60 win team and you feel like you know, you should have had a chance to win, you know, play for the NBA title, then you can feel a lot better about it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the the most obvious path this year is you basically tell him, you know, basically look at Miretic as, as a, a sunk cost and move on from, from Nico, especially for the reasons you mentioned that he's kind of a luxury and you've got DJ Wilson and an expiring or who, you know, again, like you can always just keep him and, and probably he'll, he'll be still good to run back for another year as a rotation guy. Um, and then, yeah, so we've always talked about like, well, if you wanted to keep Nico, then you would have had to use the mid-level on Brook. And if you use the full mid-level, the, the non-tax mid-level on Brook, then you're hard capped at around $138 million, which is $6 million over the luxury tax. The big benefit of what kind of the, the idea of essentially creating enough cap space to offer Brook a similar contract, but without the mid-level is that now you have no hard cap, Right. So you're not in a situation where if you agree to that deal with Brooke and let's just say you give Middleton close to a max deal on July 1, you're not in a position where a team could look at you and say, well, you know what, if I offer you X, we we'd have to figure out what a number is. But there might be a number where, you know, literally if they offer that to Malcolm Brogdon, you'd be up against, you know, up against it to shed salary in order to match, even be able to max uh, match a Malcolm Brogdon Offer sheet, not just a max offer sheet for Malcolm, which I don't think anybody wants to pay. But, um, but you could be in a really difficult spot if you use cap space uh, and not the the, the non-tax mid level. Then you have a lot more flexibility. Um, and um, as you were alluding to as well, then you'd also have you know if you create cap space, you would still have the room mid level, which is around five million a year, and you could use that to bring back a guy like Hill or somebody else, right? Some other kind of depth guy for like five million dollars a year. So you know, essentially, um, I think that's probably the easiest path to kind of managing all the talent that you need to bring back this summer. And again, you know, Lopez and Hill, you don't control once, especially once you obviously once you buy out Hill and you have to do that before free agency. So you can't just sit back and wait to see what happens and then decide to buy him out later. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's still complicated, a lot of moving parts, but I think there is, you know, especially if you just basically say Meritich is, you know, basically a an experiment that didn't work, um, that that there are definitely ways that you can keep pretty much this roster and, you know, run it back for next year. And obviously it's going to be a more expensive roster. That's just the reality. Um, but again, I mean, I think there are really two goals at this point if you're the Bucs. One, maintain similar levels of overall talent that allows you to compete at the highest level for a championship. And a year ago, I think certainly looking at the current roster and saying that the team is good enough to compete for a championship. That would have felt like a lot more of a stretch than it does right now. Um, and the other one is give Giannis every reason to believe that you're serious about what you're doing and that he should sign his super max next summer. Right. Yep. And if you don't do things this summer to make him feel like you're committed to spending what it takes to be competitive, then man you're playing with fire you know i mean there, i don't think there's any other way to put it and again like the the trade-off is always that you sign you know guys like chris or, or even brook right if you give, have to give brook three or four years or something like that or brogdon with his bad foot slash feet um there's always risk that those things could blow up on you right but um you know like this isn't the two, Giannis of two years ago where you can probably afford to like screw around and you know, take some chances and not commit money and try to play the cap space game. You know, now you're, you're a 61 team. Like, you know, kind of the idea is to win championships. You know, this is gonna be 25 next year. He's entering his prime here. You really don't want to waste any Giannis year trying to get cute. Um, yeah. and, and again, it's it with Giannis. I mean, the idea is to have multiple windows with him, you know, like at some point, the core of this team is going to start to age out other than Giannis. And that's a challenge um but obviously Brogdon's still 26 not not old Chris you know going to be 28 not not old um Bledsoe, 29 going on 30 so he's a little bit older I mean, you worry about that Hill obviously in his in his early 30s so guys starting to get up there but at least you have a path if you want to compete for a championship with this you know same roster um assuming you know again Kawhi and KD shockingly don't take your money on July 1st um you can do that with with kind of the group you have and you know again people can debate but what i saw this year was a team that could win a championship and you know especially if durant leaves golden state next year and the warriors continue to get a little bit older regardless of what happens with them in the finals i mean again I'm, I'm not really even sure what's going to happen in the finals um you know we have no idea with toronto like does Kawhi come back even if he does you know, Lowry's getting older. Abaka's getting older. I don't know if Gasol's coming back. Like, I mean, you know, th- they're a team that, again, it's not like they have, um, other than Siakam, kind of like, you know, another superstar in waiting, um, per se. I mean, Siakam's kind of already sort of entering that level. But um, there are just so many variables. And I just think if you're the Bucks, like, you should try to continue to kind of keep yourself in the game with, with again, the, a, a roster that got you to the top of the standings this year.
1: All right. Like, I'm trying to figure. By the way, out,
2: go on. I think the only, I think the other big topic we haven't talked about is Mike Budenholzer, and so I'm That's where
1: wanna... we were gonna go. Okay. Um. So, uh, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to get into this. Um. So I think, I think kind of the idea is that Mike Budenholzer, um, going into the playoffs, was seen as someone that didn't make adjustments. Then in the Celtics series, he made significant adjustments. And it worked out. And the Bucks flipped that series, won four straight, and then got to the Raptors series, won the first two. The Raptors adjusted in game three. And then uh, I think it's largely seen as the Bucks did not adjust out of that. That they did not have a counter to what the Raptors were doing. And I guess for me, I think there's a couple of interesting things. One, I think in game five, they made an adjustment on Kawhi Leonard defense with that. They didn't need to make, I thought doing the, the switching, switching everything against the Raptors to me, didn't, I never thought the defense was the problem against the Raptors. I'll just say that like, you know, in, in game four, the Raptors did put up 120, but I didn't feel like it was you know really something that was like a huge problem for the Bucks. It was just kind of you know some some role guys getting going and, and to me it didn't it didn't feel like game 5 needed an adjustment. They adjusted. It kind of messed with the Raptors, but then ultimately in the biggest moments Kawhi gets Brook Lopez on a switch twice, hits two threes back to back and the Raptors kind of take control of that game from there. And I guess offensively, I know I saw a lot of people, you know, kind of asking like, okay, clearly this isn't working. Why don't the bucks make an adjustment? And in my head, I kept kind of thinking, what is it? What, what is the adjustment? And again, like I'm, I'm very open to ideas. Sometimes my, my brain does not, always think of, of these things, but you know, like as I was going through what the bucks should do to adjust offensively, I, I was, I was struggling because you had a shook Eric Bledsoe, So uh, also a point guard, you have a George Hill. Who's, who's pretty limited. I, I think in the pick and roll game, he's not really a guy that, that is going to make a huge, huge impact there. Uh, he can get some shots off of it. Sometimes he can get in the lane and get like a little floater or pull up jumper. Uh, Then, you know, like Malcolm Brogdon, we've always talked about him maybe not being the most dynamic, sometimes getting to the rim, but typically when he gets the rim, he takes tough shots there. Chris Middleton good on switches, but the Raptors were running him off the line. Not going to let him get uh, those isolation step back threes that he really likes against bigs. Uh, They weren't going to let him get post-ups because every post time, every post-up, post touch was going to be a double. Um, Brooke Lopez is, you know, Brooke Lopez kind of, uh, I think there was time where we did see him get to post up a little bit. Um, and then, you know, with Giannis, I think we, we saw them try some different things. I think we saw them try him in the post. Obviously that meant a double and him working out of that, uh, you know, trying to go one-on-one, they just built the wall and kept sending help. Um, in the pick and roll, a lot of times it would be a switch. And then typically on those switches, the Bucks were posting up out of that. Um, And well, then there's another double team. And I I guess for me, the, the one, the one adjustment I'm I'm curious about is just how they didn't get any better against the double team as the series went on.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's not like Giannis has never seen a double team. It's not like the Bucks have never seen a double team. This roster was essentially constructed to, take advantage of teams that pay Giannis more attention than normal. <laughs> so, you know, like
1: yeah.
2: on paper, you shouldn't be spooked by a double team or that shouldn't be something that you, you know, that allows you to go away from Giannis. And we obviously talked about this, you know, unfortunately we talked about this probably a couple of times during the series that we thought they should, it was up to the Bucks. I mean, the ball was in their court to take advantage of that rather than run and hide from it. Um, because especially yeah. in game three, it seemed like Giannis was standing on the wing or in the corner a lot because they basically got afraid to go to him, especially in the post. And, you know, unfortunately, Giannis is doing you zero good when he's on the wing, not touching the ball, because teams are not going to respect him. Teams are going to help off him. And especially if you have him and Bledsoe on the court at the same time, man the court gets really small if those guys are not touching the ball and you know like game three it was like felt like they just decided that Chris Middleton was gonna have to do everything (laughs) and it's like that's not Chris's game either like Chris can can be as you know can can do damage in the pick and roll he can do things at times but like he can't be your primary ball handler especially when you've got Giannis and Bledsoe out there I mean that's like not it's not fair or smart um I think I think if I, you know again, and this is all kind of you know obviously hindsight at this point, but some of these things we talked about in the moment as well. I think certainly, you know, especially when Bledsoe and Giannis were out there together, I think one adjustment that that Bud did make was trying to stagger them more. Although that seemed to be less of it seemed to be, I think that was mainly a game four thing, if I remember correctly, and then in game five when Bledsoe started playing well, I didn't notice it as much, or game six even, um, but pick and rolls between those guys because that way you're keeping them from having to space the floor and you know, you're forcing basically the other team to have to defend, you know, if it's starters, Brogdon, Chris and Brooke at the three point line. So yeah. it kind of intuitively that makes sense. Um, and again, they, they tried to run pick and roll with those guys. I mean, I thought Giannis as the pick and roll roll man was completely ineffective pretty much the entire playoffs. Like, and it's weird because, again, it's hard to kind of just always get that to work because, you know, it's sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But when it worked, that was really, really effective during the regular season. And during the playoffs, it felt like it just didn't work much. And um, obviously that was that was a problem or the reverse, right? Those inverted pick and rolls of Bledsoe or, or George Hill as a screener trying to get Giannis downhill or at least getting him into a switch. Um, I think, you know, Lopez is interesting. Lopez quietly was really one of the few guys making shots and making plays. I mean, the last minutes of Game Six, like, yep. how were the Bucks in that game? Giannis like was airballing like five foot shots. I mean, you know, like it it was painful, and yet the Bucks somehow got back into that game in large part because Brooke Brent. Lopez started like l- you know lumbering through the paint and finishing around the rim and getting putbacks and doing stuff, and um. It's remarkable how you had a guy as talented as Brooke around the basket and never during the course of the season, did they really try to exploit that? You know, there was, we always mm-hmm. joked that like it was the third quarter of the last Charlotte home game was the only time they really used the steady diet of Brooke post-ups and he scored like 18 points or whatever in that quarter. And then they said, okay, we'll put that back in the holster and, and, you know, file it away. And in, you know, I, I was a little surprised that they never I mean there was like one I think in game two they went to him inside when the Raptors were kind of got it back down to thirteen and he got a three point play. But as far as like really running plays, trying to get him the ball inside, we saw it occasionally, but especially when Giannis was off the court and the way that they were struggling to score, I mean, that just seems like an obvious thing to do, right? I mean you've got
1: mm-hmm.
2: in terms of former all stars on this team Brooks kind of the forgotten one, but I mean, he made an all-star team by being a great skilled post slash inside scorer. And I think, especially when Giannis is on the court for obvious reasons, you use him as a spacer, but you know, Giannis doesn't play every minute, especially, especially with Bud. (laughs) And so I would think that when you are trying to give Giannis rest, um, that would have been an obvious thing to try to see if you could loosen up that defense um and again maybe they just double it and brooks obviously a worse passer than Giannis, so maybe that doesn't work at all um but i would have at least tried it just to see if maybe that's something that can give you a different look or force toronto to play a little bit differently um especially because you know it's not like gasol played every minute right like if it was brook against abaca or you know a lot of times we saw during the course of the season teams try to play smaller guys on brook when he was on the perimeter and even in those cases the bucks really didn't look to post that up so I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting if he comes back. It'll be interesting to see, like, do they maybe try to look at that a little bit more at times as like a change of pace? But obviously that kind of went against generally what the Bucks were about this year. And so, yeah, I mean, during the regular season, they didn't really need it. But, you know, ultimately, when you can't score in the half court and you have a guy as talented as Brooke and, you know, he really played well um in some big moments but it was kind of more manufactured i I think it's only natural to kind of wonder like could you have done a little bit more there
1: so for me i I think that that's a thing yes like explore it but i also think like it's it's in some ways a larger lesson that the bucks have to be more diverse offensively
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that and again like i think we kind of saw this with with the Rockets last year, right? Where, yep. okay, you, you're going to have a great ISO guy uh, and James Harden and volume three point shooting team. Like maybe we don't have, uh, maybe, you know, you don't have the best guys out there. Maybe you don't have the best three point shooters, but we're going to jack them up, right? Like that's, that's the goal. And, you know, during the regular season, I think that works, but if that's the one way you've created offense the whole year, like, at some point someone is going to find a way to make it really tough. And again, maybe it won't be the Raptors next year. Maybe, maybe they'll get the Sixers and the Sixers will make it tough. I I have no idea, but I think in the regular season, you have to find ways to try different things and find ways to learn more about your team and the ways in which you can be effective. And does that mean you're maybe gonna lose a couple more games, maybe. Maybe it does. And were the Bucks in a position this year to to do that much experimentation? Maybe not. I, I don't. I don't really know. Like it, that. I think. It, I guess in some ways that kind of goes back to uh, maybe our most contentious podcast of the year, the uh, the one after the Bucks lost to the Celtics when we were talking about you know making adjustments and doing different things and trying to set up a system this year was obviously about the bucks putting a system in place that's going to work for them for years to come but i think also you know they do have to outside of that system find other ways to to do things and find other ways to create offense and in the playoffs this is going to become difficult it, that that's that's really how it goes and they got through two rounds this year without it being incredibly difficult and I think that speaks to how talented Giannis is, how talented they were as a team, how well coached they were. Uh, But as you get to, you know, the, there's always going to be these moments, these spots where you gotta be that much better. And you gotta find, you know, that, that little extra edge that is somewhat different than the stuff that you were doing before. So um, to me, that that's, that's the uh, adjustment. If, if that's what you want to call it. Like it is to me just being being more prepared for when your main thing doesn't work.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, the Bucks had, I mean, kinda of like the Rockets to some extent. I mean, they sort of developed like an ethos offensively this year, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a big part of why they were able to kind of hit the ground running really quickly. Cause they didn't necessarily try to put in like a super complex system that was going to take two years to learn. It was something that the whole team pretty much was able to kind of buy into pretty quickly and everybody knew kind of, kind of what they were supposed to do. Ironically, maybe outside of Giannis and Middleton, Middleton yeah. they had probably the hardest part adapting, but everybody else um, seemed to figure it out pretty quickly. And I think that was really a, definitely a big part of why they were able to be so good right out of the gates and catch a lot of people by surprise. And, next year you know maybe this summer is just the time when the bucks have to think about like well what other you know kind of arrows can they maybe get in their quiver and and again i don't know i don't know that there's an easy answer to that um you know i think bud deserves credit like you know the bucks were often pretty creative coming out of dead balls so it's not like you know they just ran the same three things every play regardless um, I and I think Bud deserves more credit than that. Um, but you know, ultimately, the Bucks' best players got outplayed, kind of by their their sort of corresponding guys in, on the Raptors. And I don't think it's any—I don't think anybody would argue that you know Nick Nurse outcoached Mike Budenholzer as well, right? I mean, they gave the Bucks looks that they ultimately couldn't figure out ways to scheme around, and mm-hmm. um. You know, I think there are obviously other questions. Um, I think, I mean, I think just as far as rotations go, it was so... Game six, man. I mean, ultimately, Giannis played a tick over 40 minutes. So it's not like he played 35 minutes or something like that. But did he have six, six rests? Was that, was that correct? I think, I know he had three... Three breaks yeah. in the first half, and I thought he had another three in the second half. And obviously, the one that I think you asked about, that might have been you in the post game, where he
1: yeah,
2: it was me. he you know he rests Giannis to start the fourth quarter when you are getting just blitzed to end that third quarter, and you are on your heels and you come out with your best player not playing. Um. I, I mean, just here, here it is.
1: Question from me. I'm curious, taking a look at the start of that fourth quarter, Giannis on the bench. When you look back, do you regret maybe not having Giannis out there and they go on that run that ties it up really quick? No. I mean, it's been a big topic, lots of questions. And to Mike Budenholzer's credit, Matt and I were peppering him with those questions uh, throughout the series about Giannis playing more and moving his minutes up. And So no, I mean, it's been a big topic, lots of questions. I don't think Giannis playing 44 minutes is the solution. If we can't win with Giannis at 40, 40 and a half, then Toronto deserves it. At some point he's got to take a break. I think he took a one minute break in the third quarter and he took a minute and a half or two minutes uh, in the fourth quarter credit to Toronto. And it's an area where we've got to get better. Giannis was out there for a lot of good things and part of whatever it is that didn't go our way. And, I I'm not going to say I was shocked because obviously we've talked to Boone throughout the year about this, throughout the playoffs about this. And he just kind of said like, yeah, like that's not something we're going to do. And I, I truly didn't believe it. And I thought, uh, you know, looking at, looking at the first half, I thought, you know, maybe it would get fixed, right? Like I, I thought maybe there was a spot where you take out one of the, one or two of those rest spots in the in the second half only give him maybe a minute and then all of a sudden you're at a 44 minute game for Giannis and I think you're in a pretty good spot but ultimately he decided against it and I am I am really I don't want, I don't I don't I don't even know what how I feel about it like I, I just think like it's very clear that that's what he's going to do and if that is what you're going to do as a coach you have to win those other minutes like you you just have to like I honestly when he was not out there for the start of the fourth quarter I looked at Mike Lee uh, my colleague at the athletic and I was like this is stupid this is just a bad idea you should you should not do this you you your back is against the wall he needs to be out there the rest of the game you can't let them come back and that that's exactly what happened they railed off a quick run and it was tied and after that that was it.
2: Yeah, and I mean, this is, um, you know, I bitterly tweeted something to the effect of, you know, you, there's no separate NBA finals for teams that don't play their best players 40 minutes. And, you know, I think obviously for so much of the season that the Bucks' depth and the way they managed Giannis' minutes was a huge strength, right? And it allowed them to kind of save Giannis to a large extent during the regular season. But, um, you know, if you're not willing to kind of cash that in, you know, I mean, the Raptors were um, were a team that obviously, you know, wasn't so much that they didn't play Kawhi much when he played, but they just rested him a ton during the season, with 22 games missed. Um, you know, Nick Nurse didn't have the same leash on on Kawhi that that the Bucks did with Giannis. Now, throughout the first two rounds, they really didn't need it, right? I mean, they go eight and one; they're ten and one after those first two games. You know, I mean, if you can get away with it, you look brilliant. Um, but obviously if you play the game where you try to get too cute, try to steal them at Ritz here or there, it only takes 90 seconds to lose a game. You know, I mean, if you, if you just are not ready for something and, um, I, I still, I think, I don't know if we saw it in the last game, but I know we saw in at least a couple of the games we saw that Urson at center with no other big men lineup, which just made no sense to me. Um, I don't know. There definitely were some, um definitely you know especially in hindsight obviously easy to kind of nitpick some of those decisions by bud um I, I do give him credit especially I forget which game it was the, though I think it was a game four maybe where he played blood so only 20 minutes um you know I thought that actually took some balls to being being a coach who has really kind of inspired his team by showing confidence in them to kind of saying, you know, enough is enough. And ditto with Miritich getting benched, right? I mean, yeah. in hindsight, who knows? Maybe maybe Miritich would have been the difference and maybe he finally sees shots fall, right? I mean, unfortunately, you never know with a guy like Nico. Um, who knows? Maybe bench, benching him in game six was the wrong game to bench him. But, um, you know, certainly based on how things have been playing and, you know, and partly because you want to scale up Giannis' minutes further, you say, okay, let's go to a three-man big rotation. But, um Obviously, you know, net net, it's just the the math did not work out in the Bucks' favor. And let's be honest, the math was always was always the strength of this Bucks team. And unfortunately in this series, um at least the the math of the rotations um certainly seemed to to hurt them.
1: All right. I think we're gonna wrap it up for tonight. That's gonna be about an hour plus for you guys. Uh sorry for for leaving you leaving you waiting, letting you hang out there uh, without a podcast. So we are sorry about that. So hopefully this hour podcast will make up for it uh, for you. Uh, Also want to thank Untuck It. A big thanks to Untuck It for sponsoring Lockdown. If you are looking for a great Father's Day idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com. Promo code NBA to get 20% off. Again, that's untuckit.com. Promo code NBA to get 20% off. And yeah, that's going to be it for us. Uh, we we'd, I, I think we could talk for a long, long time about this. And I'm sure we will do so again tomorrow. So we will do all of that. And a reminder, check out the new podcasting app Himalaya. It's free, it's super easy to use, and it has every single podcast you love or you are searching for. Like and comment on it as well. The listeners can like, give it a thumbs up, and comment on individual episodes. And you also have shareable playlists. You can build podcast playlists, by the episode, customize it just like a playlist for songs and share it through social media, text, and email. Find and download Himalaya on the App Store or Google Play Store. Don't forget to follow Locked on Bucks once you get there. So for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.